Hey, good morning, Harvest Bible Chapel, East Peoria. And uh, it's great to be here this morning. Lynn and I have been really looking forward to uh, coming down and uh, just seeing the place that God has given to you to do ministry. And can I just say, it's really nice. And uh, he's provided a wonderful spot here for you and great facilities. But the facilities are only a vehicle, right? Like they're not something we're, and I know you guys know this, it's not something that we're kind of idolizing or anything. It's a place that God gives us to reach more people and to get the gospel out. And it looks like that's happening in a great way. The church seems like it's growing. And uh, Lynn and I both just said, even after the first service, you just sense a good spirit here. People are excited. They seem to love Christ. You can tell in the worship. And I just sensed, even as I was preaching, that people were kind of leaning into the word. And like people are hungry. Tell me what it says and how it applies to my life. And so you want to fire up a pastor? Keep doing that. All right. Uh, that's a great thing. Uh, we love your pastor. I've known Tim and Jonna really since their days in Naperville, Harvest uh, Bible Chapel in Naperville there. Uh, Lynn and I knew them when they were on staff there. And uh, now just to see how God is using their lives here. And uh, you guys, I'm sure you are, but I hope you just love your pastor. He, uh, he really loves the word. He loves Christ. Yeah, yeah, why not? Yeah. He loves you guys. Uh, he speaks about the church and what God's doing here. You can just tell he really loves you guys so we're really really thankful for them and their partnership in church planting as well and uh that's a really cool thing isn't it the way god's raising up harvest around the world and you guys are a region here and caring for some of our pastors and we just so much appreciate your commitment to that okay so question let's say we all decided we we're going over to the mall all right you guys have a mall around here somewhere and uh, I'm sure there's one not too far from here. And so what if we said we were going to go over to the mall and we're just going to start asking people the question, what are the top five things you're hoping to get in your life during your lifetime here? We're just going to ask them that. We're just going to listen and write down the things that they said. All right. You ready to do that? No. Okay. Uh, but if, if we did that, all right, if we did that, what do you think some of the top five answers, what would be some of the common things do you think people would give as an answer to that question? Okay, uh, money. Uh, people are looking for financial security. For sure, that would be one of the top five, right? What else? Okay, who said that? Happiness. Okay, somebody was looking at their sermon notes. All right, ha- happiness. All right, uh, it's, a, it's the name of the, it's the title of the message, right? The, the way of happiness. And so that would be a great guess. And you know what? I think that for sure would be in the top three, right? And even if I asked you guys here this morning, what, what, what's something that you're looking for in your life that you're trusting God? I think a lot of us would say, happiness. I'd want that in my life. You know, people might say health and family, and but happiness for sure would be in those top uh, five. And so the title of the message today is uh, The Way of Happiness. And uh, as I was thinking about this idea of happiness, um, I, I just went on the internet because I wanted to see, okay, what are people uh, out there in our world, what's the world saying is the answer to that question, how you find happiness, right? What, what are people writing? What are they saying? And so I just put in happiness and it's amazing all the stuff that comes up. I just brought a few with me. Here's one. Uh, it says, uh, 10 things science says will make you happy. And uh, I could read you some of those things. Uh, there would probably be things that you would think that would be said. Uh, here's another one. It was called Great Dream, 10 Keys to Happier Living. Uh, you know, some of them were good. Uh, some of them were kind of disappointing. Um, but then I came to this one that was written by this lady called The Happiness Project. And what she did was she basically gave a year of her life. Now think about this. She gave a year of her life to pursue the answers that are through the centuries and through different philosophies that we've come up with. And she put it all together and said, here's a summary of the best answers. This is what the world says will bring you happiness. Okay. Do you want to hear what she said? Okay. At least one guy. Okay. So there's uh, <laughs> me and him will talk here, but there's, here's the four things. She called them the four splendid truths. So here they come. Number one, I should have put on my glasses. Uh, to be happier, glad I got a long arm. To be happier, you have to think about feeling good 
feeling bad and feeling right in an atmosphere of growth. I don't know. You're kind of looking at me like, what? I don't know. I don't get it either. Okay, but that's going to make you happy if you do that. Okay? Here's the second thing she said. One of the best ways to make yourself happy is to make other people happy. One of the best ways to make other people happy is to be happy yourself. (laughs) There's something to write down and take away with you. All right? All right? Here's the third thing. The days are long, but the years are short. I'm just reading it, all right? In brackets, it says, clink to the link to see my one-minute movie. I did not do that, all right? Um, They're not really getting any better. Okay, here's the fourth thing. You're not happy unless you think you're happy. So, that was a year of a person's life, all right, (laughs) saying, I'm going to give you the answers that our world says will bring you happiness in your life. Now, we're kind of laughing, we're just having fun with it, but you know what? Isn't there a part that's sad to you? Like, that was all sad. That kind of grieved my heart. This is what the world has to offer. They're saying, this is the best. Here's the answer. This is what's going to make you happy. But it's empty. Psalm chapter 1 is the answer to the question. All right. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm chapter 1. And some of you are saying, like, Rick, okay. Well, let's, let's look at the verse here. I'm going to read just uh, the psalm to you. Just follow along as I read. Uh, Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 to 6, here's what the psalmist said. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, some of you are looking at me and saying, okay, Rick, this happy thing, uh, okay, that's interesting, that internet thing was kind of interesting, but where out of that psalm do you get this idea of, like, the way of happiness? Well, that's a good question if you're wondering that. So the answer is, what's the very first word in Psalm chapter 1? Blessed. Right? Blessed is the man. What does the word blessed mean? Well, if you look it up, literally the word means, it means happy. It means joyful. It means contentment. It means satisfied. It's the psalmist is saying, blessed, happy is the man who, and now he's going to go on and answer the question. Do you see that? That's where this is all coming from. So what does the psalmist say is the way of happiness in our life? And before we look in that, let's just pray. Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to worship you through song, through the words that we just sang, which were an expression of our heart that reflects who you are, how you've revealed yourself, the truths that mean so much to us. Thank you for the opportunity to do that. Thank you for those who led us in worship pointed us to the Lord Jesus, your son, and all that he's done for us, all that he means to us, all that he's doing in our life. He's our hope. Thank you now for the opportunity, Lord, to worship you as we open up your word, as we study it, as as we look into its truth, as we see how it applies to our life. And so, Lord, I pray as we do that now, that you would really help us to stay focused, that our minds would be on your word, that our hearts would grasp these truths, but that, Lord, we wouldn't only know what it says, but we'd seek to live these truths out to our life this week. So help me as your messenger now today, today, Lord. Just empower me, fill me with your spirit. Help me, Lord, to communicate your truth in a way that would be accurate to the way that it is written. I would pray. So we commit ourselves in this time to you, and it's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. 
Okay, the way to happiness. As I looked at this psalm, I see basically it breaks down into three parts as he answers the question like, okay, how can I really know happiness in my life? Now, again, this is not a happiness that has anything to do with outward circumstances. You know that, right? That's not that kind of happiness, joyfulness, contentment, satisfaction. It's not something I get from out there. It's something that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ and it's his truth being applied to my life. That's what this psalm's going to make really, really clear to us. That's the kind of happiness, all right, that we're talking about. So, here come, here's the first point. It comes from verse 1 and 2. Uh, how will I tr- truly know the way of happiness? When I have a passion for the truth. That's the first point. When I have a passion for truth. That's verses 1 to 2. Again, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits... In the seat of scoffers. The first thing the psalmist says before he tells us what's to pursue. He says there's some things that need to be avoided in your life. If you really want this satisfaction and happiness. There's some stuff you need to avoid. Now he's going to walk us through those things. Here's the first thing. He says uh, the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. You need to avoid that. You need to avoid the counsel of the wicked. Okay the key word here is the word wicked all right the wicked who am i getting my advice from all right that's kind of the word i wrote down here he's talking about counsel or advice who am i getting my advice or counsel from i don't want to get it from the wicked that's what he's saying well what's the word wicked mean the word literally means to be loose or unstable that's what it means these people in a sense are loose from god These people's counsel or their advice is not anchored in the truth of God's word. Do you see what he's saying? That's what he's saying. You want to know happiness? You want to know satisfaction? Don't go to a person for counsel or advice unless the counsel that they are giving you is rooted in the truth of God's word. That's where it's anchored. Now look, I have a real concern in this area for our own church and for our churches in our Harvest Fellowship, you know, I got, I got a real concern over what I see people, choices I see them making in this area of who are they listening to? Who are we seeking counsel from? Who has our ear when I'm making decisions about important areas of my life? My marriage, my finances, my children, my career, my, my spiritual life. Who are you listening to? Who are you going to counsel from? Who has your ear? Oprah? Dr. Phil? Your co-worker? Your neighbor? Do you listen to yourself? Look, those might be good and people with good intentions. And I'm not saying everything that they would say is wrong and false. But listen, listen. The psalmist, listen to what he is saying. God's word is saying, if the counsel and advice is not anchored in the truth of God's word, it's not good counsel it's not leading you to the road that leads to happiness and satisfaction in your christian walk because i was concerned about this um i went to the guy who heads up our counseling ministry or what we call soul care his name's dr garrett higby he's been on our staff he's a great guy he's a personal friend and i said to him as i was getting ready for this message i said hey garrett as people from our own church are coming to uh, different counselors for counsel. What are some of the things that you're hearing that would be worldly counsel, that's kind of being spoken against here, that you're hearing from our own people? That's interesting, right? So what are our own people? Maybe people, maybe people sitting right here are thinking. I said, just give me the top four things. And he said, no problem. He wrote them down. Here's, here's what he said. Here's what we're hearing from Christians. All right, number one. They really believe that it's wise to pursue happiness at all costs. God wants you to be happy. Now, this gets confusing because, Rick, you're talking about happiness. And yeah, yeah, God wants that, but he wants this. It's a contentment. It's something that comes through his word in relationship with him. But there's a lot of believers who think, God wants me to be happy at all costs. That's the bottom line. I should be happy. Does God want you, the bottom line, to just be happy? No. God wants you to be holy he wants your life and decisions to reflect and to glorify him and what his heart would be and what his truth would say here's here's another principle that was troubling 
he said this, go with your heart, look out for number one. Sounds good, but it's not biblical. Look out for number one. I think I'm supposed to put God first and his desires and I'm supposed to be thinking of others. And oh, here's a third one. You are the product of your dysfunctional past. You have little to no responsibility for your problems. True or false? That is false. Have some of us had difficult, hurtful, painful things in our past that have been done to us by people, things that should never have been done? Absolutely. And I want to be sensitive about that. But do you need to be controlled by them? Does it need to be something that has a grip on your life for the rest of your life? Or is God in his word who he promises to be? Can he give us freedom from that? And I believe that he can. Can I give you an example from the sports world on this? Do you know a guy named Brandon Marshall? Does that name ring a bell with you? He's a wide receiver now for the Chicago Bears. And he's a great player. On the field, man, this guy is awesome. Off the field, his life's a train wreck. He's had many uh, run-ins with the law. This is when he played for the Miami Dolphins. He had a number of DUIs. He beat up his girlfriend. And I'll never forget the day after some of those things had happened. He stepped to the mic. He was being applauded by the sports world for coming out. And this was his answer why he was doing those things. He said this. I do these things because I have a social disorder. That's why I do these things. Brandon Marshall, as far as I know, is an unbeliever. I wouldn't expect something uh, different from a person maybe who's an unbeliever. Is Brandon Marshall's problem a a social disorder? Brandon Marshall does those things the same reason we do some of those things. Why? Because we have a heart disorder. We have a sinful heart. That's why we do the things sometimes that we do. Here's a fourth thing. You need a professional or medicine to treat your real issues God is irrelevant, and he's only limited to spiritual issues. True or false? Yeah, it's false. But it's amazing how many people fall into that. I'm telling you, it saddens my heart as I see some people in our church, followers of Jesus Christ, who are making important decisions in their life, and this book remains on the shelf. They're running to worldly people. They're seeking counsel out there. They would never think to open up God's word, to go to a pastor, to speak to their small group leader, to go to a godly person who's going to open up this book and says, here's what God's word would say in this area of your life. And here's another thing I'd like to say about that. I, it really troubles me when people will say this. Oh, harvest is against medication. Can I just say this in front of you? Harvest is not against medication. When I was going through cancer, I was thankful for doctors and medications that God used to bring healing to my prostate cancer. I was really thankful for that. There is a time for medication and for doctors. I'm thankful for them. But listen... What I am against and what our church has taken a stand against is when we're medicating spiritual heart issues. There is no pill, there is no medication that can change the heart. And there's a lot of believers who are running to the doctor to get medication, but the real issue is not physical, it's spiritual, and only God's word can bring change to that. Do you want to know true happiness in your life? He does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Here's the second thing. Nor stand in the way of sinners. Now he moves from the area of advice to the area of our actions. He's now talking about our actions. He says he doesn't stand in the way of sinners. The key word here again is the word sinner. What's the word sinner mean? You know the word sinner. It's actually an archery term. Remember doing archery at summer camp? That was always dangerous. I remember kids almost always got... Stuck with hers. But anyway, the idea was, you know, you're trying to hit the, what were we going for again? Most of us were just happy if we hit the target. But what you're really going for is the, see, the word sinner means to miss the mark. It's to miss the bullseye. What's the bullseye in the Christian life? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our model. He's the one who we want our lives to look like. We want to bring glory to him. He's the bullseye. The scripture here is saying he does not he does not stand in the way of sinners. A sinner is a person who is deliberately making choices that are contrary to the Lord Jesus Christ and not reflecting the word of God. 
And right away, some of us would go, hey, Rick, I'm good on that one. I think I got that one down. Most of my closest friends come here to the church. I'm in a small group. I got those kind of... Then tell me, how do we explain the rise of this that we're seeing in the church of Jesus Christ? I see this in our own church. The rise of couples living together before they're married. Premarital sex before marriage. Affairs and sexual sin rampant in the church. Marriages ending in divorce without any biblical grounds. Softening on moral issues of all kinds. How is that happening? I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about followers of Jesus Christ. I'm talking about our church. How is that happening? Because we live in a world where we're constantly bombarded through media, through the internet, through music, through all kinds of things that are sending messages that are absolutely deliberate and contrary to the Lord Jesus Christ and what His Word teaches. And if we're not careful... And if we're not guarding our hearts and our minds, and we're just allowing a lot of those things constantly to be feeding our mind, I'm telling you, we're moving away from what is true, and we're making decisions based on what the world is saying. Do you want to know happiness in your life? He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. Be careful what we're listening to, reading, watching. Careful. Here's the third thing. Nor does he sit in the seat of scoffers. Now he goes from advice to actions to attitude. Nor does he sit in the seat of scoffers. Key word here is the word scoffer. What does it mean to scoff, be a scoffer? I had to look it up. It's not a word we use a lot. It means this, to ridicule and mock. People who ridicule and mock, they're actively engaged in putting down the things of God in his word. That's mocking. And again, I kind of thought, well, I, I, don't, I don't think I do that. Like, I, don't ridic- I certainly wouldn't ridicule and put down the things of God. Then I thought to myself, really, Rick? You don't do that? Do you know how we do that? Do you know how we ridicule and put down the things of God and His Word? How many times have we sat in a Sunday morning service? How many times have you opened up God's word in your personal quiet time? How many times have you sat in a small group? How many times have you listened to God's word taught, maybe on the radio or on the internet, and the spirit of God is convicting you, and he's pointing an area in your heart and life, and you're going, that's me, that needs to change. That, And we go, later, not important. I, I got a plan, God. I think my way's important. And I'm telling you, that is ridiculing and mocking the truth of God's word. And it's never going to lead to happiness and satisfaction and peace in your life. There's some things that need to be avoided. And the psalmist makes that really clear. But here's what I love about God's word. Not only does he say, here's some things that need to be avoided. But now he says, you really want to know that peace in your heart, that happiness? There's some things that need to be pursued. Do you see them? Here it comes. Look at verse 2. But, turning point, he says, His delight is in the law of the Lord, God's word, and on His law He meditates day and night. Okay, first key word is the word delight. All right? Mm, Not a word we maybe use all the time. Uh, So what's the word delight mean? Because this is a very key word here in this verse. This is something we're supposed to be doing if we really want to know happiness in our life. He delights in the law of the Lord. Delight means this. It means to be mindful or attentive to. When something's delighting me, I want to be preoccupied with it. I want to spend time with it because I like what it's giving me. I'm delighting in it. I wrote down a definition. I apologize for just reading this, but... Let me say, here's what delight means, just another way to say it. Delight is the result of qualities that are found in the object desired. That's delight. Does that make sense? Let me say it again. Delight is the result of qualities that are found in the object desired. Can I give you an example of that? Uh, three years ago, I got a Harley Davidson motorcycle. Anybody here got a Harley? All right. Yes, I see those hands. All right. And um, 
it was a great, it was a great joy. My wife gave me permission to get it. And that's a picture of the day I got it. I was riding by some people who snapped a picture for the first time. And uh, you can tell I was having a blast. And I'm telling you, my delight in that motorcycle has only grown over the last three years. It is so, I just really, really love it. Enjoy it. I delight in it because of the qualities that are found in my motorcycle that are impacting my life. Can I tell you some of those qualities? Here's one. I'm telling you, when you get out on a Harley and you're riding around those country roads, and around, I'm telling you, there's a freedom that you feel. I can't explain it, except now that I do it, it's like, oh, this is so great and free and the wind blowing through. My, well, I got my helmet on. But, you know, it's just like, oh, here's another quality that's really great power oh yeah you 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 get on that motorcycle 1600 cc's you start up that motorcycle you know the way those those harleys start rumbling and you hit the throttle and i'm sometimes going on the highway and i just easily go out and pass a car it's not a problem there's so much power it's amazing oh they're therapeutic guys you should really get one for your health's sake you know (laughs) They are. I often say to my wife, they're so therapeutic. You know, I have one of the, you know, sometimes every once in a while you have one of those days. She knows what I'm talking about. And sometimes after supper, I'll just say, hon, I'm just going out for a little ride. Sometimes she'll come with me. I, I'm going to go for a ride because there's something just, okay, it's all good again. You know? They can be there. And here's the last thing. They're very relational. You don't believe me. They're relational. I'm telling you. When people hear you got a Harley and the guys that I've met at the church who now have, who also have Harleys and let's go riding together and, and there's some bonds that get developed and, and you end up, we often stop and you're having a drink and you're talking to a guy and before you know it, he's sharing about his heart and his life and you're talking about the Lord and things that he, there, there's a relationship that I have found that's come just out of having a motorcycle. Now some of you think, does he work for Harley Davidson? Is he trying to sell these things? <laughs> Do you see the point that I'm trying to make? Do you, do you get the light? It's the qualities that the object brings to you, sorry, that you experience in your life that brings the light. Now, what is the psalmist telling us is going to bring delight to your life that we need to delight in that's going to bring this happiness to our life? What does he say again? But his delight is in the, the law of the Lord. It's in God's word. I, I'm not, look, as much fun as I, I don't want to delight in my Harley Davidson. I want to delight in the law of the Lord because of the qualities that it brings to my life and that I experience. What are some of the qualities that God's word promises and that you've experienced that it's going to bring to your life? Now, this passage here doesn't tell you specifically, but other passages of scripture do. Psalm 19 would be one. Can I just give you four? What are some of the qualities that God's word promises and offers? Here's one. God's word promises to change and transform your life. That's why I want to spend time in the word, not just to know some things, because it wants to change and transform me at my very core, in my inner man. It wants to make me more like Jesus Christ. God wants me to bring glory to him. The reason I was created is I'm applying his truth to my life. Oh, here's an, oh it, said, it promises to make the simple wise. Remember that one? It promises to make the simple person wise. Aren't you thankful that as I feed on God's word on a daily basis, as it becomes a part of who I am, it gives me skill in decision making in everyday life? Oh, here's another one. God's word promises that as I spend time in it, as I read it, God reveals himself to me. God tells me who he is, his character, his qualities, how he responds to me, how he wants me to respond to him. I find out who God is and I experience him in a deeper level in my life and it comes through his word. And here's the fourth thing. God's word points to me the way that is right and the way that is wrong. We often say, choose to sin, choose to suffer. 
God's word tells me, here's the way that is right for my life. Here's the thing that will be fruitfulness and happiness and satisfaction and long-lasting contentment. And here's the things that will be praying and suffering. Don't go down that path. God loves us. Do you see that? His delight is in the law of the Lord because of the qualities this book brings to his life. But he doesn't stop there. What else does he go on and say? And he meditates in it day and night. That was the second key word. He not only delights in the law of the Lord, but he's meditating in it. See, what he's trying to say is, I don't just kind of read a couple of verses. Okay, I'm into my day and I never think about God. What does it mean to meditate? What's he saying? I should find delight in this book and I should meditate. The word meditate means to repeat, repeat, repeat. That's the idea of meditation. As I read God's word, I'm repeating over to myself as I'm going through the day. What's that truth that I learned? What's that, what's that thing I learned about God? What's that thing he wants for my life? And I think about it as I'm going through my day and I seek to apply it. I want God's word to so permeate my life, my heart, my mind, my decisions, my actions, that as I come to different decisions on a day-to-day basis, I will reflect God's truth. It's what leads to happiness. Loved ones, you see what the psalmist says is the first truth? To truly want to know happiness in your life, you will know it when you have a passion for his truth. Here's the second thing. What else leads to happiness? The second thing here is in final verses 3 and 4. It's when I have, when I'm a picture of stability. When my life becomes a picture of stability, I'll know true happiness. We find that in verses 3 and 4. And it says this. He says, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. Do you see the picture that the psalmist is giving to us here in verse 3 and 4? What's the picture? The person who's delighting and meditating in God's word, what's he going to become like? Verse 3. He's going to be like a tree that's planted by the streams of water. Now, do you have a picture in your head right now of what that tree looks like? Because this is the picture you should have. It's a big, flourishing, stable tree that's bearing much fruit. It's got a great big trunk. It's got great big uh, branches. And it expands. It goes high up into the air. It is a healthy, stable, well-grounded, flourishing tree. Is that the picture that you have in your mind? Because if that's the picture you have in your mind, that's the picture the psalmist is trying to give to you. The person who delights and meditates on a daily basis in God's word is going to be like a tree that's planted by the streams of water. Why is this tree stable? Why is it so large? Why is it bearing fruit? Why is it flourishing? Because its roots are going deep down into the soil that's very fertile by the streams of water. In fact, its roots are going down into that streams that are feeding and nourishing and giving the tree everything that it needs so that it can continue to grow and be all that God created it to be. Do you see the point? The picture is of, of the Christian life. It's the, the picture of the tree is who we are to be as we meditate and delight in God's word. I will be like a tree that's planted and flourishing by the streams of water. What's the streams of water? It's, it's God's word. And as my spiritual roots go down on a daily basis into the soil and the water of God's word, and as I drink upon it and meditate and delight upon God's word, I'm going to be like a tree that's flourishing and stable and is planted by the truth of God's word. That's what I want to be. That's what God created us to be. But the key word here is the word planted. It's an interesting word. The word literally means to be transplanted. Do you see what's the picture that the psalmist is saying? See, this tree didn't always used to be here. The tree's been transplanted. Well, what does that mean? It means that one day somebody was walking by and saw this tree that was weak and frail and maybe even dying. And so they dug it up because it was in dry soil. They dug it up and they carried it over and they transplanted it by the streams of water. 
The good soil, uh, the, by, by the water, where the roots could start to go down and where this tree now is growing and flourishing and fruitful and all these things. The key is it was transplanted. There, a, a choice was made to put it where the tree would flourish. So what is that telling us? What is the psalmist communicating to you? I need to make some choices on a daily basis about where I'm going to plant myself so that my roots can go into the rich soil, into the stream of God's word. Okay, how am I going to do that? I jotted down four things, just practical. How can you do that? Number one, have a commitment to a good Bible teaching church every weekend. Now let's think together. Where's a good Bible teaching church that you could go to? Hmm. How about this one? All right? Where there's a pastor who opens up God's word and he's going to teach you every weekend. Make it a priority. Oh, here's another one. Uh, personal Bible study. Like, listen, I hope you don't leave church, put your Bible down, and then you're scrambling around for it next Sunday. You never looked at it once. That's not what it's for. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this book is valuable to you. It's open each day. You're spending time delighting and meditating and, and allowing it to be, its truths to become a part of who you are. I hope you have a plan for that. Oh, here's a third thing. You could get into a small group. That would be a good choice, right? You could get into a small group where you're meeting on a regular basis, on a weekly basis with a group of other believers who are holding each other accountable to be in the Word and to be doing it and applying it to our life. We all really need that. Here's the fourth thing. We live in a place where you can get, there's so much teaching, good biblical teaching available to us, not only in this church, but on the internet, in our car. You know, uh, we can listen to CDs and our iPod. We can listen to good teaching that feeds us so that we might be like that tree that's flourishing as our spiritual roots go deep into the truth of God's Word. That's what leads to happiness. When I'm a picture of stability. Okay, the psalmist goes on. He says, he's like a tree planted by the streams of water. Oh no, this is getting really important here. That yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Okay, question. How do I know if a tree is healthy or not? And the answer is? Say that again. It bears fruit. All right, come to the front of the class. You know, good answer. Everybody probably was thinking it, but that seems too simple. He's right. It's bearing fruit. That's how you know if a tree is healthy. It's bearing fruit. Question. How do you know if a Christian is healthy and really knows Christ and is spending time in his word? How do you know? It's the same answer. He's bearing fruit. In fact, Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 5, that's the answer that he gave. He'll be bearing fruit in his life. That's how we know if we're healthy. The, quite, the good thing is, is that God's word also gives us the answer. We don't have to kind of think, well, what, what does that look like? What kind of fruit should that look like in my life? In Galatians chapter 5, it tells us what that fruit should look like in our life. Now, we might not have all this fruit perfectly, but as I go through this little list, You need to evaluate your life and say, do I see any of these things? Am I growing in some of these things? Because if you really know Christ, and if you're meditating and delighting in his word, these things are going to be evident. All right? I'm going to go through them really quick. Here they are. Number one, love. Love. It's a love for others that seeks to put their interests and needs before my own with no strings attached. I don't want anything. I'm not looking for something. I'm putting the needs of others before my own. It's a choice rather than something that I feel. Love. Oh, here's the second one, joy. This is another fruit. What's joy? It's a supernatural delight in the person of God and in the purposes of God. That's what joy is. It's a supernatural. That tells me it's not something I do to myself. It's something that the Spirit of God wants to do in my life. It's a supernatural delight. Oh, there's that word again. It means extreme satisfaction. 
The Spirit of God wants to give me an extreme satisfaction in the person of God, who God is, His attributes, who He's revealed Himself to be, and in the purposes of God, how God works, His plans, His promises, His purposes for my life. No matter if I'm going through a good time or a really difficult time, I can know joy. Well, here's the third fruit, peace. Do you have this one? Peace. It's the calm assurance that what God is doing is best. Peace. The calm assurance that what God is doing is best. Oh, patience. What's that? It describes a person who has the power to exercise revenge, but instead they exercise restraint. That does not reflect the world we live in. But that's what the Spirit of God wants to do in the believer's life. A person who has the power to exercise revenge, but they choose to exercise restraint. Oh, here's another one, kindness. It's acting for the good of a person regardless of what they do. Here's another one, goodness. What's that? It's the desire and ability to show generosity even when the person does not deserve it. Can I give you an example of that? Of goodness, the desire and ability to show generosity even when the person doesn't deserve it. Do you have a Morton's restaurant around here? I, maybe you know what Morton's is. It's a steakhouse. It's kind of an expensive restaurant. It's where you get, pay a lot of money for a little bit of food. You know what I mean? But um, somebody gave Lynn and I a gift certificate, so we had gone to this Morton's restaurant that's not far from our home. And uh, as uh, we were coming in and sat down, I kind of looked over, and um, there was this guy. His name was Tony. And uh, Harvest wasn't his home church, but he came a lot on Saturday nights because um, he just liked our church. He found it was a place where he was being fed. And I remember just kind of going over, greeting him, went back and sat down. And Lynn and I enjoyed our meal. It was really great. And we talked and had a great night together. Then the waiter came and he was bringing the bill. And when he brought the bill, he said, um, it's paid for. <laughs> I, yeah, it's paid for by that guy right over there, Tony. I remember getting up from the table and I ran over to Tony and I said, Tony, look, hey, look, that's really kind, but we got a gift certificate we're well taken care of. It's like, you don't... And you know what he said? He said, I know char- char- Harvest isn't my church home, but I come there regularly. And it's a place where I get fed and cared for. I'm growing. God's working in my life. I've, God just used the ministry there. I just want to bless you. Okay, Thanks. And we, used the, uh, we came back to Morton's a second time a little later on and used the gift certificate. It's goodness. It's showing kindness to another person even though they don't deserve it. All right? Here's the next one. Faithfulness. Boy, I want to be this. It's a resolve not to wander away from commitments or promises. Don't we need that? A resolve not to wander away from commitments or promises. Gentleness. This is another fruit. It's power and strength under control. It's ruling my spirit well. Here's the last fruit. Self-control. It's restraining my passions and appetites. So when Lynn and I go to Dairy Queen, instead of getting three scoops, I just get two. You know? it's, it's, It's ruling my spirit. It's keeping my passions and desires under control. So let me ask you. How you doing? How you doing in the area of that fruit? Are you like that tree that's planted by the water, strong, stable, that you delight and meditate on God's word, bearing much fruit? Okay, he goes on. There's another important thing before we move on. He says this. And it yields its fruit in season. Did you notice this next sentence? You could pass over this quick. And its leaf does not wither in all that he does he prospers now why did the psalmist say that think about trees question when do trees when do their leaves tend to wither and fall in the fall in in harsh weather right When it's changing, when it becomes difficult in storms, the leaves can wither and fall. What's the psalmist saying? What's he telling you? 
this tree, this person who's delighting in God's word on a regular basis, this person who's meditating on God's word, this person who has their roots down into the stream of God's word on a regular basis, this person who's bearing the fruit of the spirit in their life as a result of applying God's word to their life, what's happening? Look, when difficult circumstances come, when the challenges of life blow into your life, when that thing that you weren't expecting comes very unexpectedly and difficult and painful, what is the psalmist telling you? Your leaf will not wither. You can prosper in all that you do. Look, it doesn't mean that life isn't difficult. It doesn't mean that we don't experience pain. But I'm telling you, you continue to stand strong, well-grounded, bearing fruit, being a testimony of God's grace and strength in your life, his leaf does not wither. Now, when I thought of that and read that, I, th- I thought people are going, okay, that sounds really great to say, but does that really happen? And I want to tell you, it does. I could tell you stories from our own life. I could tell you stories from people from our church. I could, there's stories probably of people in this church. Can I tell you a story of one of our senior pastors in our Harvest Fellowship? Their names are, there's a picture up here, it's Trevor and Heather Peacock. I know Trevor and Heather, I used to coach him when his church got started. And Lynn and I have been out to see them a couple of times. Here's what happened. His daughter was going to have her tonsils out. Minor surgery, right? How many people here have had their tonsils out? I had it out when I was a kid. She was having her tonsils out. She came home from the hospital, went to bed that night. Her mom went down and checked on her at 6.30 in the morning. When she went down, she seemed fine. She talked to her. They interacted. Everything seemed good. Mom went back to bed. Daughter went back to sleep. Mom came back down at 9 o'clock that same morning, checked on the daughter. And when she tried to talk to her, she was unresponsive. There was nothing. She wasn't breathing. Something was seriously wrong. But they didn't know. They called 911, the ambulance came, they rushed her to the hospital, and to make a long story short, Hope, the one that's next to the mother there, who's much older now, has serious brain damage, paralyzed in most of her body, you know, is going to be impacted for the rest of her life. That's a difficult thing for parents, a family to walk through. But I'm telling you, because of their delight and meditating and being like that tree planted by the water, when the circumstances got difficult, their leaf did not wither. But they have stood strong. It's been hard. It's been painful. It's not what they would wish for. But can I read you some things that she wrote to us as they were going through this? Here's what she said. This is her own words. May God be glorified in his plan. Let's remember to pray for the salvation of the doctors working on hope. We have a mighty, awesome, and good God who's to be praised and worshipped in all things. God is good, and he is very present with us here. Know that and praise God with us in all things. Really? How can you write that? She can write that because of who the God who she has her faith and trust in and has walked with as parents and these things that we're talking about in many years, for many years. Okay, we're almost done. Look at verse 4. He goes on, he says this, But the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Do you see now the comparison? He's been, he's been drawing this picture of here's the way to happiness and it's delighting and meditating and this tree and the fruitfulness and the leaf does not wither. And then he says the word but. Now he's turning it around. Now he's looking back at the wicked person. The person who doesn't know God has no time for his word. He's not investing his life in spiritual things. He says when the wicked goes into a difficult thing, they're like chaff. You know what chaff is? It's an agricultural term. And this is what they used to do. This is where it comes from. When it was time for harvest, Uh, they would uh, go to a threshing floor with their grain. Threshing floors were usually on the top of a high hill that was out in the open. 
where the wind would blow because they'd need the wind. And what they would do is they'd get their stalks of grain, they'd lay them down, they'd put a circle of rocks around it so the grain wouldn't get outside of it. When that was all laid down, then he'd get his team of oxen and they'd usually be pulling a large heavy log behind them and he'd walk the oxen and that log all around that circle. And what would happen? That log would go over the heads of grain, the grain uh, would open up, the kernel would be exposed. And so what he, the farmer would do then is he'd get his pitchfork out and he'd throw all that stuff up into the air and as the wind would blow, what would happen? The chaff would be blown away and the heavier kernel of grain would fall back on the floor. He'd gather up and they'd go make their food. Do you see the picture? Do you see the comparison? Do you see the opposites? The person who knows Christ, the person who's in his word, the person who's like that tree plant, when the difficulty comes, they stand strong. The wicked, the person who doesn't know Christ, the person who isn't isn't in the word, they're like chaff. There's no foundation. You want to know happiness? It comes when I am a picture of stability. And here's the last point. And it's pretty quick. It's the last two verses. I'll know happiness when I have the promise of heaven. It's verses 5 and 6. Look what the psalmist says. Therefore the wicked shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. These are really sad verses. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Do you see what the psalmist is trying to say? He says the way to happiness is not only in this life, But in this life, I want a relationship with Christ. I want to be in his word, doing those things we've been talking about. I'll be a tree like it's planted by the water. My leaf will not wither. No matter what I'm going through, I can stand strong. Not only will I know happiness and contentment in this life, but guess what I have to look forward to? Heaven. I'm going to be with Christ for all eternity. You think this is... I can't wait to get out of this dump and to be with Christ. I can't get wait to be away from all this hardship and to be with Christ. I'll know extreme happiness and satisfaction. That's what I was created for. I can't wait. But the wicked, do you see what he says? The wicked will not stand in judgment. They'll be judged by God and found guilty. Sinners won't be in the congregation of the righteous. When God in eternity gathers the righteous to himself, the wicked won't be there. The way of the wicked will perish, he says. They will be separated from God for all eternity. Why? Because they had no time for God in this life. They weren't, he wasn't important to them. They could care less about his word. It wasn't a part of their life. They'll spend eternity in a place called hell. The way of happiness. Isn't it a great psalm? It's got such great reminders for us. You'll know happiness when you have a passion for his truth. You'll know happiness when you're a picture of stability. And you will know happiness when you have a promise of heaven through relationship with Christ. Let's pray.